everybody. Hello again. Thanks for hanging with us. We got a couple chapters left here, and uh, this is Mike Foch, and I am here again with Brian Weed. Hey, everyone. Still going. Still going. Uh, this is our Calvary Distinctives 2.0, going through Chuck's book, Calvary Distinctives. We're in chapter 11, entitled Striking the Balance. The summary for this chapter Um, I'm going to take from page 126. It says this. These are Chuck's words. As you minister, as you go through the word, you will come across those scriptures that speak of the sovereignty of God. When you do, teach it. When you come across those scriptures that teach the responsibility of man, then teach that. In this way, you can be sure that the people are getting a well-balanced spiritual diet. Um, And Chuck will add to that, that when the Bible speaks clearly, we must as well. So um, I I think the distinctive here, what what he's saying is that our aim in striking the balance is to simply allow the word of God to give us the balance of what God says and not allow our personal or theological presuppositions to influence his word. Uh, Biblical support, again, 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Yeah, he opens the chapter. He says, an important characteristic of Calvary Chapel fellowships is our desire not to divide God's people over non-essential issues. That is not to say that we do not have strong convictions. We'll come back to that. But then later further down on that page he says our desire is to be able to minister to as broad a group of people as possible so you have the negative side of the coin let's not divide people needlessly god's people needlessly positive side of the coin let's minister to as broad a group of people as possible and so again like you're saying mike his his way of doing that is to assume or place his faith in the scriptures as God's way of letting us know how to teach so as not to divide the body of Christ. Yeah, now of course this would build off of our expositional teaching, trying to teach yes. the whole word of God. Uh, it's really kind of a maybe a second side to that coin there where Chuck, in, in his application of trying to do this, teach the word and have a balanced view, he gives examples of Calvary's balanced view of speaking in tongues. We wouldn't exactly be charismatic. We wouldn't be Baptist either, um, or eternal security, where we believe in eternal security, but we don't take away the warnings that the Bible has. So uh, we don't want to explain away either side of the coin. It's an attempt to allow the Word of God really to speak for itself. Yeah, balance is a very common way of talking about that. Another way you might say it is is proportionality, and so I think that's the idea that Chuck expounds and that I that that I think is a scriptural idea, which would just be scripture gives us the proportionality that God wants us to how do I I'm saying this wrong. Scripture shows us how God portions out truth and how much time and energy we should spend on each one by how much time and energy it spends. Mm-hmm. I'm recently talking to 
your dad, Mike, he was just talking about, you know, sometimes people get excited about prophecy and they want to teach about prophecy in every Bible study, even if they're teaching verse by verse through the scripture. And he just said, only 25% of the scripture is prophecy. So you can take from that, maybe you could say, well, I only need to talk about prophecy 25% of the time if yeah. I'm teaching verse by verse. If I get tempted to teach about it 75% of the time, maybe I can just let the word of God say, actually, people don't need it 75% of the time. God knows they need it 25% of the time, yeah. just to use sort of rough numbers. Yeah. Chuck says, too, in the chapter, I, I like he uses a little phrase that the idea is we're supposed to recognize scriptural validity. So our balance is not we take into consideration, you know, heretical opinions or yeah. unbiblical things. Well, we're just always trying to get both sides of the coin. Right, yes. So we, we are going to have some position in the end. We are going to hold positions. But the idea being... Again, sometimes he talks about man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. You have a more Arminian or Calvinistic view of, of a type of scripture. But we don't want to be so locked into our theology that we can't share something if we're Arminian that sounds Calvinistic or if we're Calvinistic that you can't share something that sounds kind of Arminian because that's how the Bible is. And even to the point where some of these things that seem contradictory uh, we allow the Bible to speak because it being the word of God knows better than we do. We're talking distinctive method would be verse by verse preaching. And then this chapter really gets into the manner of the method. And that's that's what you're that's what you're pointing out here, Mike. And so the man a few different things about how are we gonna teach verse by verse. Well what's interesting is Chuck's saying you know, you're teaching, you're doing a lot of talking that's not in the Bible when you're teaching. So how do you know what to talk about? Well, actually, this is just an application of the verse-by-verse -verse principle. Yeah. Let the verse-by-verseness of the Bible, let the actual content of the Bible tell you what you should actually be talking about to your people. That alone will be a guide. And then the, another sort of benefit of that is we end up being dogmatic and you could say, um, you know, hard where the Bible is dogmatic and hard. Yeah. There is only one God. Yes. And we can stand on that. You know, Jesus Christ died for sinners. We can stand on that. Whereas, I don't know if we talked about this yet, uh, but something like Chuck bring, brings up the, the system of Calvinism and the system of Arminianism. And the reason why I think he's okay to write something like, we are neither five-point Calvinists nor are we Arminian, is because good Christians of uh, you know faithful men and women yeah. who read the scriptures can come to different different positions and what that tells me is god didn't see fit to make it that clear yeah. so there is actually room there whereas in other things there's not room i must believe in christ for salvation there's no room there yeah. but there is room in some of these other things and so why would we act as though there weren't in our ministry yeah i think it's easy to have when when you're being scripturally valid have one of these systems, even though they're very good, a lot of them, color the Word of God in a way that takes away from what the Word of God really is. Again, it's God's Word in the end, not ours. So our goal, what we believe is biblical, is to rightly divide that Word, and our system of theology, even though we should have it, could get us into trouble. So... Uh, I was saying what's help, what's been helpful for me, particularly two thoughts. One is reading a guy, C.H. McIntosh, mm. talking everybody about- Everybody should read C.H. McIntosh. Everybody should read C.H. McIntosh. He's one of these <laughs> brethren guys, but 
one of the things he just says is he doesn't have to reconcile things in the scripture. They're already in the Bible, which means they are reconciled. God gave us revelation. So everything in the Bible is reconciled already. We're trying to figure out how that works. Our our understanding is going to be limited no matter what. Everybody admits your theology isn't going to be 100%. And and the other thing, that's actually a great freedom, Mike, that point, because if I come to a verse... Or if I'm talking to someone and we're talking about a verse, you know, and it uses the word sovereignty or the idea of sovereignty, sometimes there's a pressure that if I'm really learned, if I really know my stuff, I'm going to know a whole system of doctrine that explains a particular definition for sovereignty, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I have to bring that into my study and te- either teach it that way or teach that whole system in ten minutes. And I think that what we're seeing here is. If we're just teaching and following the Bible, and this is part of, I think, the heart behind Chuck's chapter, there's a freedom. I don't have to do that. I can just say what the text says. And I can bring in other texts, and I can do a little bit of systematizing. It's helpful to help people know that, and I need to know that. But there's not a pressure that I have to like, well, now I'm going to deliver you 20 minutes on a systematic theology of of the word sovereignty that is a Calvinistic or an arm. Like, no, what does the scripture say? Teach that, teach it clearly. And that's going to lead into the the other thing that that we're talking about, that the chapter's talking about, which is sometimes you end up talking about things a little differently based on the scripture that you're teaching. Exactly. So, and God's the one who designed those things. Again, our systems of theology, I don't think we're in the mind of most of these inspired writers as they were writing those things. The Holy Spirit was directing a word of God that was for all of us, the whole church down the line. He knew that was happening. And a lot of these guys, when they were writing, they were writing revelation. They were writing things and declaring it. I don't know if they quite systemized it the way that we do nowadays. Even Paul, who we know he had a pretty incredible understanding of the scripture, when he writes about being in Christ, he's declaring a truth. Now, guys write a thousand pages on what yes. that is. I don't know if all thousand of those pages are what Paul was thinking as much as they saw bodily truth in Jesus Christ. It was living to them. And then they declared what was living. They were still coming to understanding of things. That's why Peter says, yeah, some of the things Paul wrote about, they were pretty hard to understand, which is always a very encouraging verse that the apostle Peter didn't get everything. Uh, that we're, it is crazy that verse is in the Bible. The God yeah. literally inspired him to write. It's hard to understand what Paul <laughs> writes. That, that's a mind trip. Yeah. Um, they, this, not to tangent, so when Paul writes about believers being in Christ, I think it's important to remember, again, he wasn't necessarily giving them a book on theology for something they didn't know. He was telling them, he was putting words to an experience they had. They had this new birth, this new existence, this new membership in God's body. And what part of what he was doing was saying, you know what that is? That's what it feels like, and that's the experience of being in Christ. Now, yes, you could turn around and probably talk to Paul for two hours, and maybe he could think it thoroughly through and expound and do something like a, sure. a theology book. But that, that it's a great declaration and revelation. Those are your two words, yeah, right? Yeah. Not so much explanation. Great breakdown. Yeah, so I, you know, I... I think those things are important because for somebody like myself or like you, particularly somebody who's teaching the Bible, you want to be faithful right. to God's word. And it can feel like at times if I don't have this system down or, 
you know, you could be nervous. If somebody asks me a question that I don't fully understand the implications of, then they come back and you're, they're like, well, you're a heretic or something. Yeah. You know, you can feel like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to get this right. But the reality is, like you said, it's obvious that God has worked through human beings with different theological leanings. Right. Interestingly enough, many of them friends through history, Philip Melanchthon and Luther, Wesley and Whitfield. You actually have a lot of famous friends who stood on very different grounds theologically, all with scriptural validity. Right. But you couldn't deny the work of the Holy Spirit in these guys' lives. Right. And in terms of flavor, I think it's significant, and I think it tells us something about God, that he was willing to leave his word I'll say vague. And I don't say that to me as as a as a detriment. I'm just saying he evidently wasn't too worried about working out some of these things the way we might want them worked yeah. out. And that is a very provocative thought for me in a good way. It makes me go, okay, what what do I not understand about the Lord that makes me think sometimes, well, I really he should have really nailed this one down. Yes. You know. Yeah, there there are <laughs> we all have to admit, even the most theologically bright individuals, God has to be a little bit beyond us in the end. Otherwise, we lose all awe and wonder and worship of him. There's he's, there's going to be places where we just say, I don't know, God, but I believe you here. And when we're sharing, particularly this in relation to reading and teaching the word of God, we have to allow him to keep his emphasis and not uh, dull it down on our own. So it's a distinctive of Calvary Chapels that that's where we want to be. And I think the the next application I, that he mentions in here, and that's important for us, is that that, al- that allows us to create an environment where somebody in our church who might have a little bit of a different theological leaning doesn't feel like a second-class Christian citizen. They don't feel attacked. Right. Yeah. So I, I think when we teach that way, even though we have our positions, we believe in the rapture or pre-tribulational rapture, if you're post-trib in your rapture view, we would hope that you could come to a Calvary Chapel and still appreciate the emphasis of the Word of God where you find it, and maybe you would disagree on a little bit of timing here or there, but because most of the Word of God is just declared as it is, you would still find a home there. Yeah, maybe a way to say it would be all of these different, as we say, sides of the coin that we're talking about, we're, we're saying there's there's scriptural reasons why people come to these different these different positions mm-hmm. whether it's uh, calvinism or arminianism whether it's you know pre-trib or post-trib we can understand a brother who holds a different eschatology from us if he's a brother who loves the lord he's he's doing his best to work at the scripture just like we are yeah. we're not going to say he's a heretic if there's room in the scriptures for this person to be a faithful bible believing christian then there should be room in our churches yeah. for the person to do the same thing. Now, we think the Bible disagrees with that brother, and we may disagree with that brother, but if there's room in the Bible form, part of the heart of Chuck's chapter is, in terms of not dividing the body of Christ, is, like you're saying, Mike, there should be room. There should be room in our church for people who hold these other biblical positions that we might disagree with, but they're not going to feel chased out or excluded. Yeah. Which I think is important, particularly for the teachers, anybody who wants to start at Calvary or is teaching, especially now when we come to second, third generation individuals, because we know everybody who grows up in a Calvary is not going to come out with our exact scriptural views. Hopefully, they keep scriptural validity. Right? They, they keep one of those views that are still pretty solidly scriptural. 
but there's there has to be a place where that person can still feel encouraged and loved as a as another distinctive and recognize okay i'm still going to follow the lord even if it looks a little bit differently now now sometimes we can't help it like sometimes people leave you've seen this i've seen it they leave and they no longer hold a particular calvary view expositional teaching or right. you know the dispensational view of of things and and they can feel kind of hurt like afraid to come back or but Sometimes that's just personal. Like you can't actually help that. You find out about it and you're like, wait, we didn't tell that. No, I like sure. that guy. Why do you leave? And you oh, those guys didn't want me right. Yeah, that's it's not true. I, yeah, I'm a Calvinist now, right? right? Like that's okay. That's okay. But we shouldn't be creating that. Some of it we can't help. But but our attitude in teaching it shouldn't be uh, the source of maybe some of that angst for people who are still biblical. I remember talking to this guy who was saying he, he needed to maybe pull away because he had gotten really into Calvinism. And I was like, you could be my friend who's a Calvinist. Yeah. We don't need to stop being friends. And I don't yeah. know. He just didn't seem to think it was possible. I don't know. <laughs> so we all have that. You know, I think in another way, the reality is if Calvary Chapel does this right, we can be a feeder for other groups and movements of really solidly scriptural, spirit-filled individuals who are mature. And you and I have both seen this. We've done youth ministry for a long time and young adults, and we've seen our kids go out and jump into other groups, Baptist groups or assembly groups or more reformed groups, but they're the leaders there. Yeah, they end up running the youth group, running the children's ministry. It's awesome. Yeah, so... When I think when we do this correctly, we become not only a benefit to our own people, but to the body of Christ. Like mm-hmm. it would be pretty awesome if other movements' best people <laughs> all come from Calvary Chapel backgrounds because they're holding to the scriptural validity. Yeah, and I don't know if we've said this before, but it's also interesting that sometimes maybe we did on the thing about intellectualism. Sometimes Calvary gets slammed for being anti-intellectual, but like we've said over and over again, all I know is when you talk to people who go to other places, they over and over again, they end up knowing the Bible. Yes. Like at a pretty high level uh, compared to a lot of the people they run into. And so that just, that says to me, we're doing something right. Yeah. I think this bears, it's a, it's a distinctive that might not seem off the bat that huge, but the fruit it actually bears down the line is pretty huge. So, uh, again, we want to be the type of place that strikes a balance in the Word of God, even with our own theological leanings or systems that still allows the Word of God to have the emphasis as opposed to our own theological leaning. Yep. So, uh, that is chapter 11. And we will see you guys soon for our last chapter here. All right, see you. God bless. Mm-hmm.